and you're listening to Dream, Dream Infringement. Infringement, featuring your favorite co-hosts, Jennifer, Bobby, and myself, Emily. Here at Dream Infringement, we like to tell stories and play music based on a weekly theme. Yeah, and this theme is a really good one. It is a theme that we have been percolating on for some time. And I'll give you a little bit of, a, of an introduction for this theme. I think you need a little bit of an explanation. We've, we've all heard of big box office blockbuster movies such as Jurassic Park. King Kong starring Jack Black. Still Magnolias. Mystic Pizza. Uh, Mortal Kombat, the one from the 90s. These are all movies that we are all very much splash starring Tom Hanks. <laughs> movies that we are so familiar with. We know like the back of our hand. These movies, when they hit the silver scream, wham, bam, pow, did they make a splash? Because everyone was talking about it. They still are talking about it. But not us. We're not going to talk about that. No, this not movie, those movies. Not at all. You, if you thought we were going to talk about blockbuster movies, you are sorely mistaken. Because for the next few weeks, what we are going to do is each take a turn picking a an obscure movie from our past that we still remember. We're all three going to watch them, and then we're going to give our hot take on what we thought about them. Yeah. And we're going to deliver a very comprehensive synopsis to you, the listener, so that you don't have to watch these terrible, obscure movies. So that... Not all of them are terrible. No. Yeah, well, that's, that's subjective. But we're doing you a favor. So you should thank us. <laughs> and you can do that on iTunes by finding Dream Infringement right now and giving us a positive review. Wait till the show is over. Then yeah, do that. Yeah. And if you, and if you you hate this, if this is not for you, then just, you know, scream it into an alleyway. Don't type it on iTunes. We don't want your bad reviews. Yeah. So, without much further ado about nothing, here is this week's special Queen of the uh movie selections, Mrs. Jennifer Woodside. And she has chosen a very fantastic movie from the 80s. In fact, the year that I was born, 1987. It was a good year. Here is Jennifer taking the lead on this one. So for weird and obscure movies from my childhood, this movie is called Hiding Out. It recently became available on several streaming platforms. This is a movie I remember renting when I was about 10 or 11 years old, and this was truly peak John Cryer. Pretty in Pink had come out in 1986, and this came out the year after that. And I always remembered this movie, and I am not sure why, but at the time, it gave me a really vague crush on John Cryer, which left me confused because this is one of the few or only role that I personally know of where he plays an even slightly likable decent person. The opening scene starts off in New York City on Wall Street. Everyone is busy and rushing around because obviously they're busy New York Wall Street people and we see people being framed in a photo lens and we hear clicking so we the audience know that someone is spying and taking pictures from a distance. So John Cryer plays a man named Andrew Morinsky. Uh, he's a stockbroker. He has a full beard and that shaggy poofy 80s hair, glasses, he's chain smoking at his desk, there's just chaos and phones ringing everywhere. He's in the fray because of course, busy Wall Street, New York person, just in case that wasn't clear before. Uh, one of his co-workers named Rodriguez talks to him in the bathroom and shows him that he has a gun. Point that thing the other way. What has gotten into you? It's not safe, Andrew. Oh. I just got it off the newswire. They're delaying the trial another 30 days. 
If we have to wait that long, forget it. We're dead meat. Oh, come on. What do you think Capados is going to do? He's going to kill us? Come on. He's a businessman. It's just business. Then they talk about laundering money for the mob. This is where we learn that he and two friends have managed to pass bogus bonds for a mobster awaiting trial. The three meet up later at a bar. Phil, Phil, this whole thing's gonna blow over. And meanwhile, the three of us can get back to what's important in life. And for some completely inexplicable reason, a woman is making eyes at Andrew. He is not the most handsome of the three, and it makes no sense that this woman is like, hello, and we never see her again. There is no reason for this scene, except maybe to show that even if we, the audience, don't perceive Andrew as a desirable man, apparently in movie world, Andrew's pretty hot stuff, as well as a successful stockbroker. All right. So... I hope your uh, seatbelts are nice and tight because Emily took notes while we were watching this movie. I did, and I just cracked open the notebook. I didn't take many notes. I started out strong and uh, yeah. fell asleep and it... then woke myself up, rewound the movie, <laughs> and finished watching it. <laughs> I yeah. was really tired. Yeah, we watched it really late last night, which was good because I think that I was kind of in a little bit of a dream state, which is probably the best state you want to be in when you watch John Cryer try to maintain fake facial hair uh, on his face. Yes, uh, Jennifer is right. And I noticed the same thing, that that woman made eye contact with him and I was like, oh, okay, is this going to be his girlfriend? No. It's not going to be his girlfriend. It's going to be no one. She has nothing to do with the movie. I think, though, what they were trying to do is give us the impression. They were trying to kind of like do some character development for John Cryer's Wall Street tycoon character. That's what Jennifer said, too. Yeah, like that he's like a ladies man. Yeah, in the the movie world. Yes. Hot stuff. Yeah, the the women love him. And so he's going to be fine in the ladies department. Yeah. He's well, going to be just fine. Uh, and and as we will soon see, um, there's no, you know, discomfort when it comes to talking to women, uh, no matter what, where they come from, uh, in the sense of age. <laughs> so. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. Okay. I wanted to read some of my notes. Okay. Yes. First please. of all, I could not remember the name of this movie. I thought it was called homecoming okay then i thought it might have been called undercover oh and then i just had to type into google john crier uh uh undercover high school and it was like oh you mean hiding out (laughs) i was gonna say i think a better name would be okay get ready wall street high okay wouldn't that be good (laughs) yeah wall street high that sounds good john crier's beard is so um, it's it's so uncomfortable to watch him trying to act with this uh, you know fake beard on because he he it's like he's talking like he's afraid if he makes too big of a facial expression like if he smiles too wide or he makes too much of a frowny face that his beard will like explode. I thought it was more like the glue was so strong on the beard that it was inhibiting his face from oh, maybe that making was facial expressions. I wrote down uh, that I didn't recognize him with a beard, which was true at first. I was like, okay, so where's John? Oh, that's him. Yeah. Oh, and then I wrote, bad beard, bad. <laughs> Get back. <laughs> Well, the thing is, is when they open it up and you they introduce John Cryer's character, it's kind of uh, dark. The it's not the Wall Street office offices that you might picture in your imagination because I always pictured like the big Wall Street floor where all the guys are like holding out numbers and they're talking about trading and whatnot. Like this office was very dark and kind of smoky. It looked like if you had taken like a um, a downtown bar and then stripped it of all the stuff that makes it look like a bar and then put in a bunch of desks and phones. <laughs> and that's him, like that's his workspace. Yeah. So it was kind of dark. It was hard to tell. 
Um, but as soon as he spoke... Oh, yeah, immediately. He's got that ducky voice from 16 Candles yes. that you cannot mistake in. Which I'm really glad that Jennifer said what year um, Pretty in Pink came out because I wrote down in my notes, voice still squeaky? <laughs> when did Pretty in Pink come out? And now we know it, it came out right the year before. So he was still just a just a youngin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have a theory, though about why they chose to make this movie and casted John Cryer, mm. cast John Cryer as, as like the, um, the main character. And I think that they fit, they felt that John Cryer, he looked young enough to pass for a high school student. Okay. But old enough to pass for a grown up. <laughs> and I think they really thought that the makeup artist was going to like, change him completely like that beard was going to change his life yeah and hollywood likes to do that sometimes they like to take an actor who they feel would uh it would it would like maybe there's like this undiscovered power that they have and that they would be tapping into something like maybe they maybe they were trying to like uh will smith him you know, like, he's a young guy, he's a rapper, let's put him in an action movie, give him a cigar, have him beat up some aliens and see what happens. Boom, you have gold. John Cryer, not so much. Well, let's let's um, move on in this movie journey. So last Jennifer left off, I think they were all still at the bar mm-hmm. with the lady that made eyes at him. The that in, doesn't the, come up again. The inconsequential lady. So. All right. Uh, Jennifer, take it away. So Rodriguez and Ahern, they head home, and Rodriguez ends up being killed by an assassin sent by the mob. Then in the morning, as Andrew is leaving for work, the FBI show up with Ahern. Where's Rodriguez, Ahern? Will someone please tell me what's going on here? And let him know that they are taking him into custody. So Andrew and two FBI agents are in a safe home. It's some kind of strange, like a brick, old-fashioned warehouse. It is dingy. It is dark. It is depressing. Andrew is freaking out because he has cabin fever and he's afraid he's going to lose all of his clients. I gotta use the phone. I swear to God, I won't tell my clients where I am. But it's been two weeks. Other brokers are going to be stealing them away from me. And eventually, he talks them into eating at a diner just to get some fresh air, because of course. And there's a little plot point here, which has to do with a birthday card. Pay attention, it will make a reappearance later. I'm going out to mail a birthday card to my grandma. Either you guys got a stamp? And for some reason that's confusing to me as a plot point, he's really obnoxious about ordering. Morensky, just go for the pancakes. Uh, the waffles. It says here that they're uh, golden brown. Is that really true? Uh, okay, I'll have the number five waffle breakfast with the bacon extra well done. About a nice glass of milk. That they can make golden brown. Uh, no, actually, I'd like a scotch, please. Do her straight up. Thank you. Baby doll, it's six in the morning. Oh, uh, then uh, make it a double. The FBI agents go on to tease him about how he'll be in witness protection and probably have to have plastic surgery, and maybe they'll send him to live out in the middle of a national park as a forester. Then it turns out that the assassin who got to Rodriguez is in the diner, and he starts just shooting things up. So, wait, so this assassin guy, he knew where the safe house was? and had been waiting all of this time for them to come out and eat food? Was it a lucky thing? Like he just happened to be in the diner? Was there like an FBI mole that said like, hey, there's a safe house here? How did how did he know? Surely the middle of a crowded diner isn't the spot to start shooting things up. I mean, Andrew did have to walk to and from the diner to the safe house seemed like a better opportunity. One FBI person gets killed, the other one is injured, and Andrew makes his way to a train station. He's covered in blood, he's staggering around and running. The assassin comes up with some sort of sniper rifle and is going after him uh, at a distance, but still crowded train station. And Andrew just makes the train, and then he turns around and he flips off the gunman. 
which seems kind of a weird thing to do. Like, I wouldn't antagonize someone with a gun more than necessary, but I guess Andrew's just that kind of obnoxious person that would do that. I, too, had a very strong reaction to the flipping off of the hitman. To me, it felt like, I don't know, I mean, maybe I'm an old-fashioned kind of guy, but you just don't flip off your hitman if he's unsuccessfully hit you. Okay? It's just like you've gotten away with your life. This hitman, this is his job. It's what he does professionally. So if he didn't get, if he didn't kill you the first time, (laughs) you bet your bottom dollar he's going to get you. It's likely he will get you and will do everything within his power to complete the mission the second time. So you don't want to throw a middle finger in the mix. It's just not, it's not going to be good. It's not good. Don't poke the bear. That's all I have to say about that. I have to say that the hitman in this movie has an extreme widow's peak. (laughs) I don't even, I think it is a prosthetic widow's peak. It's a very deep V. It's a very deep V, like to the middle of his forehead. And I... I noticed this, and then someone in the movie noticed it, too. And they said, um, what is, oh, he, they said he looked like Dracula. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I'm I'm not the only one. I'd like to think the makeup artist had, like, extra John Cryer beard hair left over. <laughs> and just and stuck she, it to his forehead. She just had a little fun. <laughs> she was, like, being creative, was in, the, in her flow state, just kept going. You know what this hitman needs? Really make him a character? Yeah. A severe widow's peak. Also, um, John Cryer, okay, he jumps through a a giant glass window, oh, like yeah. a diner glass window. And <laughs> I have a hard time uh, believing that this very small framed man of probably barely breaking 100 pounds um can hurl his body with enough velocity and impact that it would shatter this diner window and then he would be able to keep on running i just i can't see him they're really they really like put him in a lot of action scenes that i'm not sure if john crier like is is writing checks that he can cash <laughs> as far as us believing that he's capable of it Tom Cruise jumping skyscraper to skyscraper and then running and then jumping onto a moving bus and then getting into the bus and driving it to Hawaii. I can believe that. They were testing him out. Yeah. Yeah. They didn't work. Maybe they thought it would. Maybe they, like I said, they, maybe they did, they did the Will Smith test. You know? Or like the Bruce Willis, right? Cause he yeah. wasn't an action star. He wasn't on Die Hard. He, they were, they weren't casting him as a, Uh, But I digress. Jennifer, tell us more. Tell us more, please. So somehow, even without a ticket and in a shirt covered with blood, Andrew has a successful train ride. And then he is picked up by a trucker taken to Delaware, wherein he calls his aunt. And this is where we are introduced to his cousin, Patrick, played by the always obnoxious Keith Coogan who is the obnoxious kid in every movie. Andrew arranges to meet his sister the next day at the high school where she works. So he goes into the truck stop. He starts making a few purchases, goes into the restroom for a very long time and gives himself a complete makeover. The beard is gone. He's dyed the sides of his hair blonde. And then he trades his $500 suit with a homeless man for his jacket. Then he heads to the high school in Delaware where his aunt works. And he does look fairly convincing as a teenager. He was only 22 at the time, so that's probably what he did look like as a teenager. As he's waiting in the lobby, he repeatedly gets mistaken for a student, and you can see the wheels are turning and him thinking, I don't think a mob assassin will find me in a random Delaware high school as a student. He comes up with his alias's name, which is Maxwell Hauser. 
because he was looking at a can of Maxwell House coffee. So he ends up attending his first class where he notices Patrick is in his class and then he starts winking and kind of creeping Patrick out, traps him in the boys' bathroom and makes his reveal, I'm your cousin. Patrick tries to educate Max in the ways of high school. All right, Max, let's get something straight. You've left the outside world. You've got to orient your thinking. You've got to think repression, think limits, think humiliation and despair. You're in high school, for Christ's sake. They run into Patrick's mom, which is Andrew's aunt, and she completely fails to recognize him, which I think is a bit of a plot hole because she has known Andrew his whole life. She knew what he looked like before he grew the beard as an adult. Honey. Mom, I want you to meet Max. He just oh. started here today. Honey, honey, I want to get home and check the machine. I'm concerned about your cousin. He never showed up. Andrew and Patrick end up at a diner. And this is only notable because the stamped addressed birthday card to his grandmother falls out of his pocket and someone picks it up and turns it into one of the waitresses who presumably mails it. The next day in class, Andrew has an epic showdown with the history teacher and ends up getting sent to the principal's office for it. Your essays, class, were execrable. <laughs> All right! <laughs> I am likening your work to human bodily waste. Allow me to cite an example. In selecting for a topic the Nixon years, our author shows a stunning naivete. <laughs> Now, none of you are old enough to remember, as I do, how Nixon's countrymen betrayed him. He was a target, a victim. Mr. Hauser, you appear to be writhing in your seat. Is this a nervous condition? Mrs. Billings, I don't mean to be rude, but uh, no one destroyed President Nixon. The man destroyed himself with the secret bombings in Cambodia. He rigged a presidential election. The media didn't create that. He put it down on tape. You're not old enough to know who did what. But this kind of changes his trajectory in high school because all the cool kids from the different, I guess, non-jock groups end up kind of endorsing him. I don't get it, Patrick. People I don't know are talking to me. Hey, you asked for it. I mean, word is out. Hey, noble move, Maxwell. Man has definite potential. We should talk, know what I'm saying? And he also meets his destined meet cute co-star. Hi. Oh, oh, uh, Andrew. Max. Max. Uh, this is Chloe, and uh, this is Ryan. I heard you had to go see Dr. Gusick. I'm really sorry about that. Oh, it's my fault. It's my big mouth. No, but I still owe you one. <laughs> Why's that? You were defending my essay. <laughs> oh, so uh, so you're the unfortunate author. <laughs> That's me. Better be careful. Yeah, oh, please, sit down, sit down. Well, it sounded like a really interesting essay. I'd love to read it sometime. Oh. Here, but you have to ignore all the red ink. Billings kind of had a field day with the comments. Wow. <laughs> Throughout the whole movie, there's a running gag that Patrick is a horrible driver. And so there's a few scenes of him in Driver's Ed being his most obnoxious self. Um, and later that day, some of the, I don't know what that group is called, like the hip-hop kids, pull Andrew into the bathroom and, and inform him that he is definitely running for president because someone needs to take down the school's popular jock, which, of course, is also Ryan's boyfriend. Yo, pussy! Now! For the man, the man is Mad Max! Yes, he'll give us justice! Abolish the time hack. Make lunch longer. And make class shorter. We'll get Perrier instead of water. Thing to do. If you want big fun time, just, just book for Mad Max. Cause, Cause he's down a clear time. Check it out, we already put up half the posters. Oh, no, you, you can just take them down. <laughs> you should have asked me. Hey, listen, I get a little ahead of myself, but that's me. That's the way I am. You know what I'm saying? I have an idea. Well, well, why don't you run? Nah, man, that's not my thing. My thing's behind the scenes. See, I'm a mover, a motivator. You know what I'm saying? That's me. That's the way I am. Well, this is me declining the nomination. I'm really honored, guys, but, you know, that's me. That's, that's the way I am. Yeah, and natural. So, this was my favorite part of the movie. I loved these kids. I loved that he just became his PR agent and that they had a whole like rap song to 
try to convince him to do it. They're like, we made the song, we made the posters, it's a done deal. I loved these guys. They were really great. What what was what I thought was very fantastic is that it's like it's a group of guys that, you know, are dressing very like hip hop and and they're beatboxing and they just they kind of like say snarky things in class. So there's a lot of character development that you would think would lend itself to them being just like these slacker kind of like go nowhere characters. Mm-hmm. These group of young teenage, you know, young teenagers. But they reveal to John Cryer that the their leader, he explains like, I listen, I I think you would be perfect <laughs> as president. I want to make this school better. I, I want to, I not only want you to be, you know, the school president, but I also want to help you run to be school president. I want to like make posters. I want to like do all these things. Like they're very academically proactive. And I just found that very refreshing. It's not like there was, there was like a gang of bad kids that were trying to like get him to do bad things. Or, or didn't like him. I don't know. It was just, it was really nice to see that. It was. It was refreshing. It, was, yeah. it, it, it definitely, like, uh, broke the stereotypes in that way. It did. I, oh, I also wanted to say that it really was incredible to me that he ran around so much with blood on his shirt and then and then like before he oh from way back yeah from way back like before he transformed into a teenager he ran around with blood on his shirt and and saw so many people saw him and nobody nobody (laughs) was like concerned about that in any way it was truly remarkable. It was truly remarkable. I think that speaks to John Cryer's, like, um, his uh, un... Uh, what do you call it? I don't know. I he's, don't know. he's just not... His non, non-threatening... Uh, oh, appearance. Energy, yeah. And energy, yeah. yes. So we find out that he was asked out on a date by Ryan, and he's at Patrick's house. He's stressing out over what do even high school girls want to talk about. Please, oh please, answer the door, Ryan. Last thing I need is to talk to this girl's father. Max? Hello, I'm Ryan's father. Come on in. Hi, sir. Uh, listen, Ryan will be right down. What can I get for you? Uh, I'll take a scotch and soda. Sorry, Bob, bad joke. Uh, uh just a soda. You, uh, you have a lovely home here. Thank you. She's up there somewhere. <laughs> Well, don't let me take you away from anything. No, 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 it's all right. Uh, just finishing up some paperwork and this new tax code has got me all screwed up. Oh, yeah, tell me about it. So are you uh, taking these standard deductions or are you itemizing? I'm uh, itemizing. Oh, well, then uh, let's take a look here. Oh, well, but, uh, but what about this loss here? You see, you can offset the dividend income there. Wow, I missed that. Yeah, it's like, uh, it's like a thousand bucks right there. You're, you're in the same classes with Ryan? You guys getting along okay? Uh, it's great. <laughs> and how do we know that Andrew won over her stern former military dad's heart? Uh, oh, listen, wait, uh, Ryan, uh, I, I want to treat you guys. Here's some cash. Really? Cold hard cash, that is right. So they end up going on a date to a roller skating rink, and he's not good on skates, but he's very funny. He's a good sport about the whole thing. Um, His maturity kind of comes out in that uh, and that he's very personable and they really have good conversation. But of course he would be more mature because, you know, he is 28. Would you believe I haven't been on skates in 15 years? (laughs) Yeah, I believe it. Wait, that means the last time you skated, you were two? I wasn't even very good then. So, you come here often with Kevin? Hardly ever. He's very concerned about being cool. Wait a minute. I mean, this isn't cool. I'm out of here. Get back here. It's interesting to me, kind of the flip that his personality made as soon as he got out of New York. Like he became a lot more relaxed and easygoing and not sort of that aggressive, abrasive person that he started out in the beginning. And I don't know if that's just because his job was that stressful that it made him like that. And this is who he really is underneath. But he seems a lot happier. 
from? Do you have a girlfriend? Yeah, as a matter of fact, I do. Well, I did. We were together for three years. We came this close to getting married. Really? Yeah, she was my skating instructor. You can see why we broke up. I was so uncomfortable during this portion of the movie because he is substantially older than this young girl. And we are, as movie watchers, sort of being led to, well, they want to lead us to feel like, oh, yes, this is fine. What a sweet romance between a 28-year-old and a, oh, I don't know, 16, 17-year-old. It's not okay. But this seems to be a movie trope that happened like into the early 2000s, I think, because they did that in Never Been Kissed, where she is undercover um, as a, (laughs) a journalist. She's an undercover journalist, and her teacher starts to develop a crush on her and I think they want the audience to be like, yeah, this is cool. It's not cool. It's not cool for older people like that to manipulate younger people into liking them. Never cool. But at least it never been kissed. They they were the same age. This one just ooh, made me it made me cringe. It was it was uncomfortable. Patrick heads him off as he's heading home and lets him know that all the FBI agents are in their living room and he can't go home unless he wants to meet with all the FBI agents. So an alternative place to stay has to be found and Patrick just so happens to have keys to the high school. You never saw so much polyester in such a confined space. What are they doing here? You're such a smart guy. Where are you getting all your money from? Uh, there, there's a bank machine over on uh, the... Oh, my God, the bank machine. It's all on the computer. Luckily for you, they're looking for Andrew, not Max. I just thought this part was funny with Andrew singing and Patrick attempting to beatbox. Crying over you. Crying over you. So during the day, Andrew just pretty much just makes eyes at Ryan and like at first she's not really responding and then she's really responding then he has free reign of the high school at night he gets roller skates kind of works out while chain smoking and he spends a lot of time on the PA system making strange announcements he actually seems like pretty okay and happy with this lifestyle he seems very entertained This is President Maxwell, coming to you live from the Oval Office. And I don't have a pass. Teachers, where are your passes? Where are your passes? (laughs) And then he finds a drinking buddy. What are you doing sneaking around in here? Well, you're the, uh, you're the janitor. (laughs) Ezra Williams, I've seen you in here every night for weeks, boy. This is a high school, not a holiday inn. So... Your next boxer, huh? You don't get a nose like this mopping high school hallway. Andrew and Patrick have a little bit of an argument. I don't exactly live to do your homework. Okay, wait! Let's get something straight here. I am not middle-aged. So Andrew finds out that Ahern won't testify. And so his great plan of just hiding out until Ahern testifies and puts Capitos behind bars, then he can do what he wants, isn't going to fly. And that if anyone's going to put Capitos behind bars, it will have to be him with his testimony. Fine! Let's get something else straight. You're not the one who almost killed their driving instructor and then drove a brand new Dodge broadside to a whole van full of nuns. I did! <laughs> nuns! <laughs> oh. All right, all right, I'm sorry. Hey, what about you? What's your problem? Anything I can do? Well, I'm almost 30 and I'm still in high school. And I hate it. But I love Ryan. And I want Capitos convicted, but I don't want to die. Okay, okay, hold up. He loves Ryan. I'm not sure why. I mean, she seems like a very nice girl. She's sweet, but there is absolutely nothing distinctive about her. He makes it clear throughout the movie that he hasn't overstepped any physical lines with her, but it's so hard to picture them together because she seems so sweetly naive, and he's like this chain-smoking, hard-drinking, abrasive guy from New York. 
Like, what is he seeing here? Very beautiful. Oh. Was that the answer? So they go on a date in the park, and she keeps trying to kiss him, and he's not really receptive. But first, we need a moment to appreciate the background music that is playing during this whole scene. What's the matter? I never dreamt that John Cryer could look this melodramatic as he wrestles with his base inner impulses. I keep wondering who you are. Why you don't give me your phone number? Why you'd never show me where you live? Max, where do you go when you go home? Okay, you want to see where I live? Come on, I'll show you. More theme music. Max lives at the high school and it's so sad. First I stayed at Patrick's and here. Max, you could have said something. No, no I couldn't. The people that are after me want me dead. And they still do, only now she knows. So I don't know that that's the most valid point. I was afraid to tell you. I was, I was afraid I might put you in danger. Everything I said to you, everything Max said, was from my heart. Andrew's heart. Okay, like, dude, you're making it more complicated and weirder than it needs to be. So to her credit, she takes it pretty good. She doesn't freak out and say things like, you've been lying to me, I can never trust you again. She's more just concerned with his well-being. So I, I will give that point to her, as tough as I've been on her through, through this whole review. So in the meantime, the assassin visits his grandmother to try and get information from her. And he sees the birthday card with the postmark from Delaware. So he has kind of an idea where he is. And I cannot tell if the grandma is like a little senile or a little loopy, or if she's just trying to be vague on purpose because she doesn't trust that guy. It's very unclear to me. Andrew goes to the diner and he meets up with Ryan's... I guess X at this point, Kevin. Kevin's in the back. He don't look too happy. <gasps> but what's this? The assassin is in the diner, sitting behind him in a booth. Oh no! My instincts are usually very solid. Marinsky's gotta be in this town somewhere. So Andrew meets with Kevin outside the diner, and he's like, Listen, you win. I'm going. I'm leaving. Please take care of Ryan. Please don't treat her like she's property. And then the assassin figures out that he's the person they're looking for. I think because he was reading the New York Times and smoking cigarettes, which seemed unusual for a teenager. He goes to the high school with his assassin friend and draws a beard on one of the many posters of Andrew that spread around the school. And he's like, haha, that's our guy. So for someone who's been fairly competent in tracking and finding Andrew. He then is really stupid because he's like, and I'm just, I'm gonna go into a huge high school and I'll just take him out because, I mean, that's the easiest course of action, the least problematic. Oh, and I won't wear any kind of mask or anything. Anyone, everyone can see who I am. What's the thinking here? It was a very, very close race. The winner is Kevin O'Rourke! Say a few words, Kevin. Thank you. As my first official action as your new senior class president, I think I'd like to demand a recount. I would just like to point out that his voice is weird. And also, there's been like some odd interchanges between him and Mrs. Billings, and I'm not sure if they're having like an affair or what's happening, but she has told him that she's going to rig the election and he doesn't seem excited about that. They have a weird tension happening but they never really go into what is actually happening so that's just my guess. Yeah, as a matter of fact I think we can do it right now. Everyone here who voted for me could you just raise your hand please? Thanks. And now how many for Max? So the guy that is supposed to be the antagonist, I guess, in this high school situation, the the guy that wins, her Ryan, Ryan's ex-boyfriend at this point. Yes. Bobby and I didn't really get the like the bully vibe. Like we didn't totally hate him for the reasons 
<laughs> that we're supposed to. Like, we weren't rooting for... Is it Andrew? I can't even remember his name. I'm sorry. He's, I'm only remembering Maxwell Hauser. He's very forgettable. Uh, and maybe it's because I've watched too many 80s movies to just assume that the the love interest, the female love interest of the main character, her boyfriend or the guy who kind of like feels like he has ownership over her, he just is a real jerk. Like, he does a lot of, he's always, like, very hard masculine and just, like, try, you know, he just tries to, like, assert his masculinity on the the up-and-coming, um, you know, the, 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 the newcomer, new the new guy. I think there was a point when he was, he was saying, like, you don't know anything about him, but that was it. He didn't really put up much of a fight other than warning her that they don't really know anything about this guy. Which is, which is true. That, and yeah, he's that's... correct because, as I said before, this man was 28 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So as far yeah. as... So, so really, on paper, Andrew is a really nice guy. He's, I think it's Kevin. Is it Kevin? I can't remember. Steve? <laughs> the Her boyfriend, ex-boyfriend... He's just he's just trying to like live his high school life. I mean, he's like maybe 17 years old trying to become president of the school, uh, a class president or whatever they call it. I mean, he's xeroxed a bunch of pictures of his face and and taped them up all over the hallways. There was no information on those papers that just, he taped up. It was just a picture of his face. I feel like the writers of the movie or the creators of it, they were like, oh, we have like a whole student, like president election happening. Um, just, uh, uh, hey, um, uh, Brian, go Xerox like 60 pictures of the guy's face and let's tape them up on the hallways. That's going to be our election. Oh, and then write on a long strip of paper Max for president. Yeah, it it felt like someone's idea of what a teen action comedy movie should be, but there wasn't a lot of supporting uh, details. And I do agree, there was some weird chemistry going on between uh, the ex-boyfriend, the like hard masculine tough guy that you know, feels like he's in competition with, like, the new guy. Um, there was some chemistry between that tough guy and the teacher. Was it chemistry? It, I feel like it was an uncomfortable chemistry. <laughs> it was just uncomfortable, she, but I would not call that chemistry. I, I guess he's not really giving anyone much of anything. What happened to Bobby, that maybe you should go undercover back to school, learn a little bit about chemistry. I don't think... Yeah, I think... I don't know much about chemistry. All right, Jennifer... Uh, tell us tell us uh, how this movie ends. Yes, yeah, say things. <laughs> so the sniper has arrived. He's standing up in the nosebleed section, but Ezard is on the case, as we knew he would be, because he's cool like that. Coolest janitor around. The sniper takes a few shots at the stage. Everyone is, like, running and screaming. Ezard tackles him, but then the assassin's friend, like, grabs Ezard. But Ezard, the ex-boxer completely takes him out and is able to get the rifle away from the assassin. Instead of running away, Andrew like runs up into the stands and starts trying to chase the assassin who no longer has a gun. Uh, Kevin runs also along with the like cool hip-hop boy crowd. So they're kind of on the other end of the stands and they've got the assassin somewhat surrounded. Also of note, Patrick has been the spotlight guy, so he's up there by the spotlight. The assassin heads for higher ground. He climbs up a little bit of the catwalk, then he finds a ladder that leads to the ceiling roof area, and it's a little bit precarious. You seem a little nervous. Kind of a, kind of a sniper is afraid of heights. Andrew gets the ladder and he's like grabbing at him to try and prevent him from escaping up to the roof. The sniper has a knife and so he like kind of stabs his arms. You don't really see anything. There's blood but you can't really see where it's coming from. 
Then, Patrick aims the giant spotlight, blinding the sniper. He grabs for the ladder, but he can't see it. Oh no, ah! And he crashes to the ground. So I guess you could say the hitman was blinded by the light? You could say that. And that's what led to his demise. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when I watched it last night, <laughs> I felt like there was a lot more stabbing and a lot more cut to the, you know, pretend te- those those kids aren't teenagers. None of those children are teenagers. They're all like in their thirties. But mm-hmm. for the sake of the movie, those teens. So I felt like there was more stabbing. And then more of the camera panning over to the teens going, ah, ah. Um, and I had to rewatch it again just now. And there wasn't nearly as much stabbing yeah. as I thought there was in my head. Yeah, there was. But there was still quite a bit of blade work happening. There was. And there was a lot of teen screams and i and you know lord knows i love a good i love a good bad guy end sequence you know where he dies like at the end of con air john malkovich he there's a there's an absolutely spectacular you know final scene where you know his demise is him like riding on the ladder of a fire truck and then that goes into a billboard you know those kinds of bad guy endings i live for so it was really nice to see this, like, hitman, you know, just fall, fall to his death, fall to his death in, in high, front of a bunch of teenagers in a high school gymnasium. That was that was like all of the, you know, glitz and glam that I wanted. Yeah. And our next scene, we show him in the courtroom, finally testifying to put the mobster away for his crimes. This is interspersed with pictures of his former class graduating. State your name for the court. Andrew Marensky. How well do you recall the first time you met the defendant, Mr. Victor Kapados? Very well. Next, we see him leaving the courtroom and he speaks for a moment with his grandmother who hands him a package, but we never know what's in the package and that bothers me. What's in the package? I know the contents of the package aren't important to the plot of the story, but if that's the case, why even show it? Make it short. You have a plane to catch. I'll wait over here, Andrew. And into witness protection he goes. I have to go away for a little while, Grammy. They wouldn't tell me where. For some reason, like the next scene is of Patrick driving up to his high school with like this really sweet ride. But I don't know why. Like, did Andrew give him his car? Was this like a reward of some kind? I just don't know. The next scene shows Ryan. She has shorter hair because she's a college girl now. This is her adult college girl hairstyle. And she's kind of studying underneath a tree. We see someone ball up some paper and throw it at her. She opens it and it says, do you believe in reincarnation? Hi, I'm getting my teaching degree. My SAT scores were not very good, but uh, I had a few friends in the Justice Department. I know this is a little strange. A little strange? It's a lot strange. Yeah, well, uh, I've been here a while trying to figure out how to talk to you. So, uh, are you still seeing that guy? Kevin? Yeah. No, that was high school. Isn't what is happening here like completely against the rules for witness protection like you go to the place where your kind of minor aged girlfriend is now going to college i i would think that's against the rules i don't really know how it works but from what i've been led to believe if grammy can't know then ryan shouldn't know i followed the trial i'm really glad you're okay max andrew oh wait Let's start all over again. Hi, I'm Eddie Collins. Eddie Collins. It's just a name. Is that the best you could come up with? It sounds so fake. Says the girl who never questioned when he was named Maxwell Hauser. It is. I think we knew that by now. So, Eddie, how do you like college? It's much better the second time. 
and there we have it. We've come to the end. I personally feel like John Cryer's career could have been really different than it was because he seemed to fall into this career path where he plays roles where he's not a very ethical person, he's incredibly toxic around women, doesn't have a lot of self-respect or dignity, but in a role like this, I would have watched those with pleasure growing up. So I'm not sure what happened there, um, if that was the only typecasting that he could find work in, but this gives a little glimpse of him in a standalone role where he is a romantic lead. Well, that wraps things up for our first segment of the succinctly named obscure movies that we have watched previously and are now talking about on the radio. You should definitely put an echo filter on that. (laughs) Okay. So thanks for listening and join us next week for another obscure movie that we watched previously and are and are now talking about now on the radio yeah join us for that and stick around there's more kskq goodness coming up next and we're going to end things with something special kind of special for us it's very rare that somebody wants to uh, call in a dedication and dedicate it to us yours truly dream infringement so miriam our dear friend miriam and friend of the show and well and just friend is all and loyal and loyal listener (laughs) yes all of those things she wanted to dedicate the song with a little help from my friends by joe cocker to us and that just warms my heart warms mine as well. It's nice and toasty right now, just with the thought of it. So, that's it for us. Yeah. Enjoy your week. Bye. Catch you on the airwaves. Bye, Miriam. <laughs> oh, baby, how